podcasts by Discovery in partnership with Sama, the SAPPF, and the UFFP. Dear colleagues, I am Dr. Morris Goodman, Chief Medical Officer of Discovery Health. In collaboration with Sama, SAPF, and the UFFP, it is our distinct privilege and pleasure to launch COVID Clinical Brief. Together we are facing a pandemic unlike any other we have ever known. As doctors on the front line of this battle, the challenge is immense. We are facing a new world, one in which our lives, as well as the lives of the people for whom we care, are under constant threat. And now, for the first time, we have little or no evidence-based medicine on which to rely. We are confronted with unique challenges in diagnosis, treatment, and public health decision-making with an insufficient evidence base. We need a credible, relevant source of information to ensure consistency in our decision-making, treatment standards, resource utilization, and messaging to our patients. In an attempt to assist you and provide you with factual data and guidance from both local and global leading experts, Discovery Health, SAMA, SAPIF, and the UFFP are jointly launching COVID Clinical Brief. These podcasts and webinars will update you with the latest clinical insights and information on COVID-19. To ensure that this information is practical and relevant to you, we ask that you forward your specific queries to us to be answered in this series. We trust that this will help to equip you with additional up-to-date knowledge and guidance to best navigate these challenging times. We hope that you find the series valuable and we look forward to your input and feedback. Good day. My name is Dr. Nelly Sokogela. I'm a specialist physician at Hoteskere Hospital, University of Cape Town. I hope that everyone is still going strong during these challenging times. I don't know about you, but I certainly don't feel like a superhero. The world thinks that I am. Uh, as we all are preparing for the worst and arming ourselves with knowledge, I thought it would be appropriate to talk briefly about COVID-19 and diabetes mellitus. I'm sure we all know, but I thought I'll recap. What do we know about COVID-19 so far? So we know that this is not a new virus. Um, coronavirus uh, have been in the pipeline since early 2000s. These are single RNA viruses that mostly cause respiratory illnesses. The first outbreak by the SARS-CoV was in 2002-2003, and this was followed by MERS-CoV, a Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, in 2012. And both of these outbreaks um, caused deadly pneumonias and accounted for significant morbidity and mortality with SARS-CoV, I guess we can call it one, accounting for 10% mortality, and MERS, which is the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, accounting for 36% mortality in 2012. Now, we have a new strain of coronavirus, which is uh, the SARS-CoV-2, 
that was first isolated in December 2019 in Wuhan in uh, respiratory samples of patients that presented with unusual severe pneumonia. It was then reported that this SARS-CoV-2 is a responsible virus that is uh, causing this disease as popularly known as COVID-19. So although this uh, SARS-CoV-2 is similar to the SARS-CoV, uh, which caused an outbreak in 2002-2003, this one has got a higher transmissibility, but it has lower mortality compared to the SARS-CoV. Since its discovery in December 2019, took only about a month for the WHO to declare it a public health uh, emergency and by March, the SARS-CoV-2 is already declared as a pandemic. So how does one get infected by this uh, SARS-CoV-2? We know through publications that initially this was thought to be transmitted from animals. So it was a, you needed a zoonotic exposure um, to have the infection, but it was later discovered that it actually is transmitted from human to human when this strain was isolated uh, amongst healthcare workers or other community members that had no exposure to the wildlife in Wuhan than it was originally thought. So we know now that the mode, uh, the main mode of transmission is droplet spread or direct contact with aerosols. So people can get infected as well by touching surfaces or objects that are contaminated by the virus. And uh, if you subsequently touch your mouth or your nose or your eyes, then you can sort of inoculate yourself with this virus. We know that this virus can actually um, survive for hours in surfaces. There is a chance of getting it or having this virus transmitted by airborne transmission. And this is when uh, one is doing an aerosol generating procedure. Um, so a patient comes in very sick in respiratory distress and you perform an endotracheal intubation without proper PPE or a patient that you don't suspect has it and you perform a bronchoscopy or a tracheostomy, a patient that comes in and they've crashed and you do CPR, um, you can get that through uh, airborne uh, transmission. Um, I know there's rumors that you can possibly get it fecal-oral, not we don't think that uh, fecal oral route is, is the driver of infection. So it's mainly droplet. And if you touch uh, surfaces that are contaminated by the virus, and then you subsequently touch your face, your mouth, your nose, and your eyes. So who can get infected? Basically, anyone can get infected. Reports worldwide seem to suggest that children tend to get milder disease or don't even get infected at all. But we know that these things are changing now. The median age for infection is uh, 47 to 59. Obviously, the older you are, um, the higher the chances of having severe disease and more severe the disease, the higher the chances of not uh, surviving the, the illness. So also people with underlying medical problems now irrespective of age, 
and and these include people with asthma or COPD, people with heart disease, and people with diabetes that increase the risk of presenting with severe disease and therefore higher mortality. So if you're a healthy individual and you're a young, your chances of having severe disease uh, is, is low. But if you have underlying comorbidities or you are um, older than 60, then chances of having severe disease is high. So it doesn't tend to choose whether you're female or male. There's no gender bias. But men tend to have a higher propensity of cases. People really can be, majority can be asymptomatic or present with mild flu-like symptoms. And uh, very few can have severe respiratory symptoms that might necessitate uh, ventilatory support. And at this stage, the mortality is very high. I mean, if you compare this SARS-CoV-2 causing COVID-19 to the initial outbreaks from these coronaviruses in 2002 and 2003, the mortality rate from SARS-CoV-2 is quite low. But unfortunately, when one presents with severe disease, that risk of mortality is extremely high. So why am I talking about diabetes or why are we concerned about people with diabetes and, and COVID-19? We know that historically people with diabetes have just generally increased risk of uh, developing any infection, be it viral, with or without bac a secondary bacterial um, infection. And this risk is actually very high in patients who've got uncontrolled um, diabetes. We know that people with diabetes have got an impaired immune response both in their cytokine Mueller or profile and the changes in their T-cell and macrophage activation. I mean, as was as a student, we used to say um, patients with diabetes have got a lazy leukocyte uh, syndrome, and these leukocytes become even more lazy as the sugar control is poor. So poor glucose control impairs this function and therefore increases the risk of one, severe disease, and two, uh, secondary bacterial um, infection. The other uh, factor that makes people with uh, diabetes at increased risk of severe disease is that most patients with especially type 2 uh, diabetes have got increased BMIs, they are obese, especially uh, increased abdominal circumference. And if we remember with the H1N1 influenza pandemic in 2009, obese individuals had longer hospital or ICU stay uh, compared to the general uh, population. And this is really thought to be due to this abnormal secretion of adipokines and cytokines like TNF and interferon, all cytokines that are needed to fight viruses. So you have type 2 diabetes mellitus, you tend to have um, increased uh, BMI and therefore and most of these individuals actually carry their weight around their waistline and if you have increased abdominal circumferences, you have uh, issues with respiratory uh, function. So they have, they tend to have uh, sort of mechanical uh, issues with ventilation. 
And therefore, if you cannot clear your airways effectively, then whatever goes in there can get stuck and you then develop a severe pneumonia, um, be it from the virus or secondary bacterial um, infection. We also know that um, diabetes mellitus can affect other organs. We call this target organ damage. So patients with diabetes not only have just sugar problems, but they can have other organs like kidneys. So they tend to have chronic kidney disease. They can have hypertension as a result of this. They can be vasculopath with ischemic heart disease. And these in turn can make a diabetic individual very frail and therefore predisposing them to severe um, uh, disease with multi-organ uh, failure. We know that uh, SARS-CoV-2 does not only present as a, a respiratory syndrome. Some patients can present with myocarditis and in heart failure. And if you have underlying uh, ischemic heart disease, then uh, chances of presenting with severe disease and mortality, they go up even higher. Patients can present with liver failure, Therefore, worsening or putting a strain on their circulation with resultant circulatory collapse and worsening renal failure. So patients with diabetes really are at increased risk of severe disease for multiple, multiple reasons. I think what everyone it kind of raises their eyes and they become worried about is the talk about uh, the SARS-CoV-2 and the use of ACE um, inhibitors. These are well-known antihypertensives that are used, and especially in patients who have both diabetes and hypertension. It is believed that patients who are on ACE inhibitors have got these receptors, the anti uh, uh, the ACE receptors expressed, especially in epithelial cells that are found in the lungs and the blood vessels and the intestines, sorry, I forgot, to, the angiotensin-converting enzymes, recept, two receptors that are expressed there. So when you have these, this, the virus can use this to gain entry in these organs and therefore puts you at increased risk. But that does not mean that we should just willy-nilly stop all ACE inhibitors from our patients to prevent them from getting uh, the disease. But it's important to know that when one has it and they are on ACE inhibitor and they've got moderate to severe disease, which might give them renal or other organ failure, is you temporarily stop the ACE inhibitors. So um, what can we do to prevent severe disease? We know that Poor sugar control, you know, is key or is a serious risk factor rather for serious um, infection. So a tight sugar control is key. If patients aren't controlled on orals, please consider or find a very good reason for them not to be on insulin. So change to insulin quite early. So patients who have already uh, SARS-CoV-2 uh, or COVID-19 infection or disease rather, sorry, they should have their oral hypoglycemic stopped because this increases their risk of developing hypoglycemia and rather be changed to insulin with very, very uh, tight or intense glucose uh, monitoring. 
Um, those that are on basal insulin, they might need basal bolus insulin to correct their hyperglycemias. And similarly, those that are on a pump, you might need to adjust it uh, depending on their um, insulin uh, need. So bottom line, patients who've got diabetes, they need very intense glucose monitoring as both the hypos and the hyper may worsen the disease and ideal treatment for these patients is, especially if they have severe or sorry, moderate to severe disease, um, one must change to insulin. I think the best would be really to prevent them from developing severe disease. And the only way we can do that is to make sure that we educate our patients, we emphasize good diabetes control, and we know that prevention is key. So like the general population, these patients more than ever need to practice social distancing. They must only leave their houses if it is necessary, and they must wear masks in public, uh, practice good hand hygiene, and if they suspect or they think that they might be exposed to SARS-CoV-2 um, and they have COVID-19, they must present very early so that they can be monitored and managed appropriately as their mortality is very high. I hope you find this as useful as I did when I did some literature review preparing for this podcast. And I just want to wish everybody all the best. And may we, as South Africans, come out, you know, less scared from this pandemic. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Discovery in partnership with Sama, the SAPPF and the UFFP.